got this little image on the screen here because this week was um, Hope and Ella had their sports day, which they had at the Etihad, which um, I thought, blimey, that's quite cool, having your sports day at the Etihad. I mean, my sports days were always in these kind of kind of slightly scummy fields with lots of kind of big mud patches and you were kind of running, running around the track trying not to kind of uh, injure yourself. Um, but uh, it did remind me of a particular thing that happened on my sports day uh, when I think I was probably in about year nine, something like that. And in our school, we had... Um, uh, the whole school got split into houses, like they often do. So uh, at Hope and Ella's school, it's Wallaby, something else, something else, I can't remember what they are. They're names of animals. We weren't quite as creative as that at Smithton High School. We had yellow, blue, green, and uh, brown or something. And I was in the yellow team. And historically, yellows were not very good. We tended to be bottom at the end of the year when they kind of add up all the scores of all the different types of stuff you've done through the year. Yellows normally did pretty badly. So I'm in year nine and um, we were doing some swimming uh, races, some swimming galas. And swimming was actually something I was pretty good at as a kid. And so I actually won some races for yellows. And the yellows, who are used to losing, it got, they kind of got a little bit giddy on it, you know? They were kind of like going, oh my word, we've won something, we've won something. You know, they just couldn't believe it. So afterwards, I had like a, a day, I had a day of being quite cool at school because I'd like won something for my team. And so the rest of the yellows were like, yes, Ian, brilliant. And I remember just kind of walking along the corridor slightly more puffed up than usual, you know? I'm just like, yeah, actually, yeah. In fact, by the end of the day, people started asking me questions about sports day. I think maybe the yellows, again, who perhaps had not really seen very much when it came to sporting prowess, perhaps didn't realise uh, how bad I was, but they started to kind of go, oh, so, uh, you know, are you going to enter yourself in for sports day? Because the way they used to do it in our school was that uh, you kind of put your name down uh, and your time or whatever, and that's how they would kind of decide who was going to be. It wasn't teachers who picked, you kind of had to put yourself forward. And I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I want to do it. And they would go, well, what's, what's, your, what's your time for the 100 metre sprint? And I, to be honest, didn't have a clue. And the reason I didn't have a clue was because I knew it would be rubbish. You know, I'd never bothered to remember. I just wasn't a very good runner. I just, you know, it wasn't my thing. But I didn't want to admit that to all these kind of new fans that I had, you know? So they're like, what's your, what's, what's your score? What's your score? And I remember just thinking, oh, what, what could it be? And so I just made up this number. And I, I can't remember what I made up, but as I said it, I knew this was going to be a problem because they all went, oh, and they wrote it down. And I thought, oh, no, I've, I've, over, I've overdone this. This is not good. This is not going to overpromise under the liver. In fact, the next day, walked into school, and again, people are like giving me high fives and stuff. I'm going, hey, this is lasting. You know, the swimming gala kind of... Uh, stuff is kind of hanging on and then people go you're gonna smash it you're gonna smash it next week mate and I was going oh no oh no they put me down and they had they put me down for the 100 meter sprint at sport day and the thing was I knew that I couldn't run I knew I was a rubbish runner and so then I had to decide am I gonna admit that I'm rubbish and I they should really like not enter me into this race or do I kind of you know just fake it and and try and see what happens and I just couldn't admit that 
this wasn't the race for me. The swimming race, that's my race. You know, that's the race I've got a chance in. This race, I've got no chance. But I couldn't admit it. I couldn't admit that I'm going to lose that race. So I turn up on the day and I go for it. And I remember queuing, you're not queuing, lining up by the start line. And I'm looking at the people on either side of me. And uh, they are all good. I know them, you know, they're in my year. I know what they're like. And I know I'll be lucky if I see their Nikes in the dust. I am just going to come last. I knew it. Um, and I was thinking, oh, I just can't come last. I can't come last. If I just come third, then I can pretend I was having a bad day, I had a bit of a cold or something, I could pretend. But if I come last, then that is, I'm just yellows who are used to being last and, and they're kind of on this new kind of like, woohoo, we're not last anymore. They will kill me. So I, I remember kind of... Uh, Getting down in that weird position, you get down in, and uh, off goes the gun, and I just ran as fast as I flipping could. I just went, I'm like, I am running so hard. I mean, it's only 100 metres, so, you know, you just don't have to pace yourself, you don't have to do anything, you just flog yourself, don't you? You just run, and I start, I'm like, like this. And actually, as I was doing that, true story, as I am running, I noticed just out of the corner of my eye that one of the guys, the guy who was next to me, as we'd started, he'd kind of tripped up or something, and I saw him falling on his face. And I remember the feeling inside me just being, yes, that's such good news, because then I won't be last. I'm not going to beat these other guys who are already miles ahead of me, but I can beat him because he's on his face. So it's fine. I'm going to be okay. And I remember going like, I'm going to be okay, I'm going, and as I'm running like this, I'm going to be okay, I'm going to be okay. This guy gets up, and I'm still like, he starts running. I'm like, he literally overtakes me. In like, whatever it is, the 30 seconds that you spend running, he'd managed to fall over, get up, run, and overtake me. So I'm basically last. And the, all these people in yellow, because so, the whole school comes and watches the 100 metres, don't they? Because it's like the big one at the end of the week, end of the day, it's short, it's snappy. Everyone's there. So everyone, all the yellows, all the different year groups, all the year 11s, are all been going, yellow, yellow. We're going to go and wear it I'm going to snap it. It was a nightmare. And the reason it was a nightmare was simply because I was in a race I couldn't win. It was that simple. I was in a race, I couldn't win. And I kind of knew it, but I couldn't be honest with myself or other people and admit that. But I was in a race, I couldn't win. And that's what I want us to talk a little bit about today as we look at our bit of acts that we've kind of got up to. Because the thing is, I think you can go through life trying really hard. You know, it wasn't that I didn't try. I tried. I mean, I legged it. But it was the wrong race. And I meet people and talk to people and know people and there's people in my wider family and friends and people who are giving their life the best, you know? They are trying as hard as they can. They're getting up, they're going to work, they're looking after kids, they're kind of just doing everything they can do but they still feel like life just isn't working for them. And they would say that, you know? They'd go, why is this not working. I'm doing everything you're supposed to do. I'm being what everyone says you're supposed to be. And yet my life feels like I'm losing. I feel like I'm losing. Um, Sometimes that's how it can be, isn't it? Um, And 
I think as we look at this, uh, this passage in Acts that we're going to look at that we've got up to today, we get a sense of what it looks like when we're running a different type of race to everybody else. And maybe not just different because it's different to what people do, but maybe different because actually at the end of it, you win something rather than feeling like you've lost after everything you've tried. So Acts 2 says this. I'm going to read it out. Um, and it's talking about uh, these, these new Christians, these people who've literally just heard a sermon about Jesus after Pentecost, um, which I imagine um, they were talking about last week. And now these, there's like 3,000 of them. Um, and it says this about these 3,000 new Christians It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the apostles were just Jesus' mates. Those people have been hanging around with him for the last three years. And they've learned all about Jesus and what he believes and who he was. And so they started telling people about that. And so it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So um, as I read those verses, I, it's clear to me that the way that these people are living their lives sounds different to how I think most people seem to live their lives. You know, it seems like they're doing something a little bit different. Now, these verses are kind of quite famous um, for Christians because they're what we call the early church. So this is how the church first started And remember, the church is not a building. It's not something with a spire on the top. The word church actually just means the people who get together as Christians and say, you know, we're we're, we're Christians together. So that's what these guys were doing. They were getting together. So that's what made them the church. They were gathering. But, But... what they're doing when they get together is the sort of stuff that people have been looking at and going, ah, oh, that's what church should be like. This is how church should look. This is what we should do. This is the model, if you like, of church. And there's been loads of books and sermons about this is what churches should be like. Now, we're not going to talk about that today, partly because we are going to talk about it loads soon. Uh, and so we're going to spend some time looking at kind of how can we do church and what does that mean. But uh, today what I want us to think about is this. Not the model that we see in these verses, but, but actually, because we'll talk about that in the future, but we're going to focus on the motivation. So not the model, not the way they did church, but why? Why did they do it this way? Why did they live like this? Why did they behave like this? Why did they treat each other in this way? What was their motivation? Because, as I say, what it looks like, what seems clear to me, is that what they're doing is different. It's like they're running a different type of life. They're running in a different race. What they're living, this idea of getting together, sharing everything they've got, looking out for each other, caring for each other, actually that's quite alternative to how most people live their lives. And it was alternative then, 
and it's still alternative now, but also I think it's alternative to how our human instincts make us live. You know, if we just did what we wanted to do, we probably wouldn't be living like this. You know, we wouldn't be giving everything away so that those in need could have it. We wouldn't be going and hanging out with people that maybe we don't get on very well with. We wouldn't be doing that stuff. So there's something about this that they're doing which is a bit different. Um, And I think it's got a lot to do, their motivation to live this way, to run this different kind of race, has a lot to do with um, something Jesus maybe said. Now, remember, this is all happening, what we've just read in Acts here, this is all happening literally a couple of weeks after Jesus got smashed to a cross, tortured, then comes back from the dead. And it's like weeks later. It's weak. They're still remembering that moment that happened when Jesus died on a cross. But I also wonder if they remember, as the apostles start talking about Jesus and what he said and did, whether they remember some of the things that Jesus said. Like one of Jesus' most famous sermons, he said this. I'm going to read you this. This is from Matthew 16. Okay, so this is talking, um, Jesus talking to a whole group of people. Uh, who were listening to a sermon he was sort of like saying, you know, preaching a sermon. Uh, And it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If any of you or if anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever would save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And that's quite weird kind of language, isn't it? But I think what that language does is it kind of helps us think about two, um, two different types of race, okay, that I think we see. And so that's what I want us to kind of think about briefly uh, in the time that we've got, okay? So you've got race one. Now, I reckon race one is the race that most people are living in our time and in our culture. And I call it Project South. In other words, it's where basically most people are living their life for themselves. And we'll break that down and talk about what that means. And, and, you know, it doesn't always mean being selfish. That's different. But it's actually just where we're running a race where we are really doing it for me. I'm I'm living this life for me. Or there's this other race that Jesus seems to be talking about, this other way of living, which is to deny self. He says, if you want to be like me, if you want to follow me, if you want to become like me, then what you have to do is deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So he's talking about something that is different to Project Self, without a doubt. He's saying deny self. So, what, what are these two races and, and what do they look like? Well, one of the mantras, I would say, of race number one, of Project South, and you've probably heard this a lot, is uh, you can do this. That's the mantra of Project South, right? You can do this. You've got what it takes. You be the best you that you can be. You know, you've probably kind of seen it on Instagram a thousand times. You've heard movies and watched films and heard songs that kind of basically the message, the main story is you've got what it takes. You can do it. You've just got to try. You've just got to go for it. You've just got to believe in yourself. That's what you've got to do. And if you do that, there's nothing that can stop you. Have you heard that? 
that stuff before? You've heard parents say it to their kids, you know, you can be whatever you want to be in life, you've just got to go for it. That's the mantra of Project South. And the thing about it is that it's a great pep talk. It's a great way to kind of encourage people and cheer them on. But the problem with it is it's not true if you're in the wrong race. I tried my hardest when I was running that 100 metres and it wasn't going to be enough. What if you, trying your hardest, you doing everything that you can do, what if that's not enough to win the race of life? What if your life will not turn out the way you want it to if you just try hard enough? What if? Because if I was really honest, I don't think this is true, that you can do it. You've got everything it takes. I'm not sure that's true, but maybe you do. But I look at that and I go, well, it's nothing wrong with having self-belief. There's nothing wrong with kind of trying to try hard and go for stuff. That's not what I'm saying. I think they're really important. I think Jesus calls us to, to dig deep, try hard, to push into stuff that's not easy. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is when we start to think that we can do this on our own, that we're strong enough, we can handle this, that is slightly different. Because this is what happens to me, and see if you feel the same. When I start to think like that, when I start to think, you know, I've got to do this, I've got to be the one who does this, um, what, that, what that race, what race one does is it starts to help, it causes me to compare myself to others. Because if it's all about you can do it, then it's like, well, am I doing enough? And they seem to be doing more than me, so am I, am I succeeding enough? Are they, or am I being overtaken by somebody who, even though I'm trying my hardest, they seem to have got up and gone right past me. That's the problem with this race. The problem with this race is I get insecure. I start going, but what if I don't have what it takes? What if I'm not good enough? Uh, I then tend to have a life that's led by my emotions and my circumstances. So I look at what's happening and I look at how I feel and that determines how good a day I'm having. Because I'm running a race that tells me you've got what it takes. So if I don't have what it takes, then that starts to cause problems. What if depression or cancer or addiction, or trauma become part of our story, and we can try as hard as we like, and those things can't be beaten. Because addiction, you can't overcome addiction by just gritting your teeth and trying hard. It's just not enough. We need something else. You see, race two, the race that says deny yourself, What that ultimately is about is this. It's acknowledging, it's recognising that we are not enough. That we need something or someone who is bigger than us. Who we need to put in the driving seat of our lives. Who we need to say, you, you take control. I'm going to surrender. Because if I just do this on my own, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to win. But if I'm able to surrender and deny myself and say my life actually is better with you in it, that my life will actually, because you know the way, you know where to go, so I'm just going to trust you, I'm going to surrender to you, then actually that can do something different. 
the first step of the 12-step movement says these words, you probably know this, but the first step of the alcoholics anonymous, you know, drugs anonymous, all these different things, uh, the 12-step movement says, we admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviours that our lives had become unmanageable. We admitted it. We admitted that we can't win this race on our own. We admitted we can't do this on our own. It's when I, it's the thing I didn't do at school. I didn't admit that I couldn't win this race. So I just thought, well, I'm going to just do it anyway. We can't just do life on our own. We need God. But the way that we admit that we need God is that we have to deny ourselves. We have to admit that we can't, we're not enough. And that's hard. That's not an easy thing to do. But it's what running this race looks like. In the early church, in Acts 2, we see them do some things that I think show that they are trying to deny themselves and surrender to God. They, where we see that they're actually saying God is bigger than us. We need him in our lives. We can't do life without him. He knows the way. So when, for example, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, what that says is that they actually devoted themselves. What that means is they didn't just sort of listen to talks like this and kind of wait for it to finish. When they devoted themselves, what it meant was that they actually said, I'm going to live this stuff out. And so the apostles, what they did is they just talked about Jesus, who he was and how he lived. And they said, try and live like this. So when they devoted themselves, it was basically them saying, okay, we are going to believe that Jesus knows better than us. He knows how to live life better than we know how to live life. He knows what life is all about. And so what he did, I'm going to do. But in doing that, you deny yourself. You deny that you know better. That you deny that you've got control of your life and your future. That you say, God, you've got my future. You've got my life. When it says that they devoted themselves to prayer, prayer is one of the ultimate ways in which we surrender to God. And we say, I can't do this on my own. I need you. I can't just try and make this work. I need you. Does that make sense? So in this race, we kind of see uh, two, two things going on, I guess. The first one is the kind of race one, Project South, that I can do this. Whereas race two says, I need God. I can't do this on my own. I need God in the driving seat of my life. The second mantra, going to be much quicker on this one. The second mantra of Project Self, of the first race, and maybe you've heard this one as well, is be true to you. Be true to you. In other words, what you want matters most. That your desires your, are really important. In fact, you deserve to be happy. In fact... Happiness is your human right. If you're not happy, there's something wrong. Because your human right is to be happy. Everyone should be happy. Everyone deserves to be happy. Um, and so, we pursue happiness with everything we've got. What will make me happy? What will make me feel happy? Now, we might be kind to other people. We might help people out, especially if they can help us back. Uh, we might look after our family. Um, because after all, they're our family. Um, but, you know, interestingly, Jesus talks about that too. And in Matthew 5, he says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors, who everybody just thought were the lowest of the low, doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? 
Do not even the pagans, again, the people that thought oh, they're not spiritual, even they do that. In other words, what Jesus is saying, it's no big deal to love people who are in your family. It's no big deal to love people who can love you back or be kind back to you. That's, that's, that's not alternative. That's not a different race. You're just doing what everyone does. I want you to be different to that. I've got something else for you. So what else is it that Jesus wants us to do? To be, I'll be honest, I'll just pause at this point. I don't actually even find it hard loving the people that you know, love me back. And, you know, my, like my friends and family, that's hard work, isn't it? Because project self is so ingrained in us that actually just kind of, you know, when Jen's tidying up and I'm just wanting to sit and watch telly, do you know what I mean? That's, that's a strong urge in me. I'm like going, hang on a minute. But, you know, this is meant to be the easy type of love. <laughs> um, but, but actually, you know, what Jesus asks us to do is even more than this. He's saying, I want you to love other people and I want you to love the people that won't love you back and I want you to love the people that don't deserve to be loved. You see, denying ourselves, taking up the cross, following Jesus is not about happiness and it's not about um, us being the most important thing. It's about saying, what if other people are more important than you? Ultimately, that's it, isn't it? If we deny ourselves, what we're saying is, you're more important than me. That's what that means. And that is fine to say it out loud, but to live it out loud is a lot harder. But Jesus showed us that. You know, when Jesus died on a cross, he was ultimately saying, everybody else's life is more important than my life. Not just the people I love, but the people who are flobbing in my face right now people who hate me. I am putting their need to be saved in front of my life, in front of me. That is ultimately denying yourself, isn't it? And that is what it means. Um, Denying ourselves and taking up the cross means loving the people that won't say thank you or give you that warm feeling inside after spending time with them. It means loving your enemy. Or loving those that can't love you back. Later on we'll read about how these, the early church loved the poor and the homeless. And uh, there's no way those people could kind of give back. Um, and so when they sell their possessions, it says they sold everything. So that those that are in need could have what they needed. That again is like, A, it's this real trust that God is somehow going to keep giving to you if you give everything away. But also it's recognising their need is more important than your want for stuff. That's huge. That's a different race. That is not the race that most people are running. But have you noticed that when we run a race that's about how much can I get, how happy can I be, if I do things to make me happy, have you noticed how actually often it's still not happening? It's not working. We're losing that race. And, and this is the thing, I think, is that... it. This race too sounds rubbish because it's just so hard. The only difference is race two, according to Jesus, is the race that you win life running. And if you race race one, if you do project self, if you put yourself first, you will lose. Let's just read again what he says. He says, if anyone would come after me, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. 
Whoever would save his life will lose it. If you're in race one, putting yourself first, you're going to lose your life. But whoever loses their life, if you deny your life, yourself, then you will find life. That's what Jesus says. Uh, As we look at um, uh, those verses in Acts, it says that they devoted themselves to fellowship and sharing meals which means they'd share their table and their time. And sometimes that would be all of them, 3,000 of them together, sometimes that smaller group. But it says this word fellowship. And I just want to say something about this before I stop. Um, the word that's used there is this word, Greek word uh, called kononia, kononia. And uh, it means a kind of coming together of people from all sorts of different backgrounds and social stuff, so rich and poor, and ethnicity, so, you know, Greek and Jew and all that stuff. Everyone coming together. And they were loving each other in a way that people hadn't seen before. Um, And so they came up with this new word, Cornonia, to try and describe what they were doing. Now, again, on paper, that sounds great. But I remember when I was a kid, my sister used to really annoy me at dinner time. Like, the way she ate was so annoying. Do you, do you remember this? And it, she wasn't doing anything wrong. She was just being her, right? But she just, it would just be too noisy. Uh, and it would just grate at me, you know? Just be like, uh, And it just, it's not her fault. It's just, she's just being herself. But it's just, I just found her really annoying. Um, and she's my sister. So I didn't have a choice, right? But here's the thing about this church. They were choosing to eat with, and not eat's kind of symbolic of them just sharing life together. They were choosing to share life together with people, not who were just nice people, people they got on with, people who were like them, but they were sharing life with people that really annoyed them, people who had different personality types, people who used to act and say things that must just have been really annoying, just like my sister. The difference was I had to live with my sister. I had no choice, and I love my sister, another loads. But living closely with people, you, you get annoyed with them. But imagine choosing it. Imagine going, actually, I don't have to, but I'm going to hang out with you even though you really annoy me. That is koinonia. That's what they were doing. They weren't just hanging out with the people they liked. They were choosing to do life together with everyone. And that's what was so different about it. Um, and that's why we see them running race two. For me, this whole kind of lovey-dovey, they're sharing everything, they're having meals together, or that we read in Acts 2. I'm like going, man, that must have just been really hard. It would have meant they had to deny themselves every day. It meant they had to say, no, you're more important than me. You matter more than me. It's just really hard. So, race one uh, says, me and mine matter most. That's the race most people are running, right? Me and me, me and my family, that's what matters most. Like you see people living that race all the time. But race two is others matter most. That's what race two is, that others matter most. And so what I wanted us to do, just as we finish now, was uh, I want to kind of give you some questions to think about. Um, because what we start to see in this early church are people who've taken these words of Jesus of, if you want to follow me, if you want to be like me, then you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross. Now, they didn't literally mean everyone was going to get killed, although some did. What it meant was every day you're going to have to sacrifice. Every day you're going to deny yourself. And that might mean that sometimes 
When you want to take control, you've got to surrender your life back to God again and say, I can't do this. I put you in the drive-in seat. It might mean that on the days when you just want to look after yourself in your own, that you continue to say, yeah, but others matter most. That's the example Jesus gave us. That's what we're going to try and be like. And so that's what we see uh, this early church starting to do. As they share their meals, as they sell their possessions, as they try and learn about who Jesus was and the way he lived, as they devote themselves to prayer, all this stuff is them just starting to run a different race. A race that Jesus says means that you can win. You win life. You run like this, you will win life. If you just join the race that everyone else is running, actually, you're probably going to lose. And most people, if you ask them, already feel like they're losing. It's not like it's when they get to the end of their life they lose. Most of them feel like they, everyone's already overtaken them. They already feel like they're losing. And this is why. So here's my final thought. What, for you, would mean that you actually start to say no to race one? And you start to say yes to race two. What would you have to do? What would be the things uh, that maybe you need to do? Which of these things is harder for you? Is it about saying, I need to surrender to God? I'm trying to do too much in my own strength. I'm trying really hard and I'm just not allowing God to take control. I'm not putting him in the driving seat of my life. Or is it the second one? Is it more, actually, when it comes down to it, most of the things I do is about trying to make me happy. But what if actually my happiness isn't the most important? Maybe I've got to do some things that won't ever make me happy, but might actually put other people first. That's a different race to run. So as you think about that this week, as you talk about it in your groups on Tuesdays and Wednesday, just, just start to ask yourself this. You know, what does it look like for me to, to race in the second race? Um, final little story for you, and then we're going to just uh, take communion together. Uh, Apparently, the, uh, in the Crusades, uh, the, the kind of Knights Templar, who you've probably heard from movies and all that sort of stuff, they were kind of real. There were people who went and did all this kind of fighting stuff. Where used to, they all got baptised often before they left and went. And it's all a bit weird because it's kind of mixing religion with war and it's not probably healthy if you ask me. But, but one of the things they did is that they would baptise people in their armour. And that apparently, according to this story, the, the men, when they were being baptised, they would kind of keep their swords out of the water like this. So they would baptise and go down, but their hands would still be out of the water holding their sword. It was almost like, you can have me, but you can't have my sword because that's going to go and kill a load of people. You know, it was basically the thing. Um, and I found that a really interesting question. You know, what are we still holding on to that we're not willing to let God have in our lives. That might be a way of working out when we're running race one instead of race two. Is there something in our lives that we're like, okay, God, I don't mind you having all this part of my life, but not this bit. And it might be all sorts of stuff. It might be how we spend our money. It might be a relationship we've got. It might be an identity that we feel we have. It might be all sorts of different things, a plan we've got for the future. And we're saying, no, you can't have that. You can't have that thing, because I'm holding on to that. But race two, denying ourselves, means we give God everything. 
We surrender it all. Our plans for the future, our relationships, our money, everything. That's what it means. Now, you might not feel able to say that yet and be honest, and that's better to be honest than say it and not mean it. But that's what you've got to try and get to ask yourself, you know. Can I give everything? Can I run this second race? And so what I want us to do is have communion as a way of responding to that question, really, because what Jesus did when he died on a cross is that he showed us that um, 